Good, good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you perfectly. I can hear you perfectly. How, how's, uh, how's the weather down there? You know, it's, uh, it's pretty warm. Um, I'm, oh. I'm living right outside, D- right outside of D.C. We're I'm in uh, Alexandria, Virginia. Oh, nice. Yeah. 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 Um, we're actually here in, in Toronto, and uh, I'm kind of jealous right now because it's so cloudy and dark. I feel like I'm some kind of like, an, in, like a Dickens novel right now. It's pretty, it's pretty intense. <laughs> but anyway. Man. Oh, man. It's... Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, go for it. No, I was going to say quite the opposite here. It's super sunny out. Sorry, sorry to rub it in. <laughs> but you know what you have to do? You have to go out and actually enjoy it, right? You, 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 can't, you can't just squander the good weather. Uh, you have to, you have to I know, I know. Um, but yeah, no, thank you so much for joining me, Corey. I know that uh, you're probably extremely busy, but you know, I do really appreciate the time that you are um, kind of taking out to speak to us. So thanks for that. Yeah, no problem. You're welcome. Cool. So... With regard to design, I'm wondering how you would describe your approach to design. Yeah, that's um, that's a pretty good question. I, you know, I try. I, I mean, I guess my, my my approach isn't necessarily different than many many other creators. Mm-hmm. But one of the things, you know, one of the things I I try to do is. Um, I like to dig deep and look wide, and mm-hmm. what I mean by that is my approach is, whether I'm designing the website or any mm-hmm. sort of interactive experience, mm-hmm. and whatever client I'm working on, working for, I try to look and dig deep outside of their industry. I want to look at commercial oh, trends. Yeah. I spend, I spend a lot of my design process really engrossed in inspiration, mm-hmm. constantly looking and pushing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, I just think it's... Uh, it's important for you to get more range in your work by keeping a healthy dose of inspiration. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's a hard work, but I, I enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And when you say inspiration and keeping a, a wide look and, and sort of a, a wide net, I'm wondering, uh, one, is that an iterative approach that is developed throughout your process or is it something that's been very constant? And just as a follow up, I'm also wondering, as far as inspiration, where do you go for inspiration and how do you keep that well, uh, well, you know, stocked? So when you need that inspiration, you're able to go and, and find it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, the first part, um, it's, I think it's, it's, it's absolutely design process is very iterative. You're, mm-hmm. you know, you're spending a lot of, lot of time in trial and error and yeah. you're experimenting a lot along the way. Yes. And it's really, really important to do that, um, to mm-hmm. get to the final result. Yes. Even if you end up going with your first idea, it's important to kind of exhaust mm-hmm. all options. Yeah. So like, I, it's a part of the process, and and I've actually made inspiration sort of a daily routine. Um, okay. You know, I work I work with I work with a bunch of designers, mm-hmm. and we're all busy, right? Yes. And unless you put it on your calendar and make it a part of your routine, mm-hmm. it doesn't really happen um, always. And mm-hmm. for me, it's about growing and getting better, constantly mm-hmm. challenging mm-hmm. myself, and. It is really, really important to keep having that reminder of what's happening in the world, in the design world, 
And, you know, I'm looking, I'm looking all over the place. But to be honest, like, you know, inspiration is all around us. You can go outside and look, <laughs> yeah. at, ar- look at architecture, a beautiful yes. frame of, mm-hmm. of the mountains where they meet the sun. Like, yeah. there's angles, there's shapes, they're all around you. And I think if you have your eyes open and you look, you, mm-hmm. can, you can find inspiration in anything. Um, so what inspiration looks like for me is I might be you know, uh, on the internet looking on Dribble, Behance mm-hmm. Network, and Behance. so many of the typical, so many of the typical places. Mm-hmm. Um, but every now and then, I'll take a look at member magazines, those things mm. that used to exist. <laughs> magazines. <laughs> I'll look at magazines, and yeah. and you know, not not just design magazines, just you know, whatever is laying around. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you know, it's or sometimes inspiration is just not looking at anything and maybe mm. sitting outside we talked we talked about you know it's really nice out taking your mind out of the out of the, the project you're working on and just being and yeah. just go outside look at the sun mm-hmm. that's just as much inspiring as, as looking at any creative work yeah definitely yeah. and you speak about it with such passion so i'm just wondering if you've always been a creative individual or, or is it something that you sort of stumbled upon as you have have developed into um yeah. Into a professional, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, I've always been I've always been a creative person. Mm-hmm. Um like like many designers, um I just kind of always as a kid drew mm-hmm. and I always like to draw, like, you know, I like creating things, the arts. Um and you know, I've just always been creative in that way and and yeah, it's just like I always had this way of looking at the world that, you know, and trying to find the brighter side of things and looking for positive things in the world mm-hmm. and influences like that that's really where that passion comes from and you know I feel like I've, I've always had to work really hard to get into positions where I'm at yeah but I'm always like I'm always like seeing the hope and the potential and the possibilities and everything and um I mean that comes from just being being a creative thinker and and um you know putting pen to paper and I I live for most of my childhood, I lived in my head. Um, yes. You know, drawing. Yeah. I was really into cartoons and comics and, and drawing. And so that's, mm-hmm. that's really where that creative spirit and passion is, is born from. Definitely. Um, and you, so you mentioned working ahead just a little, working hard, sorry, to get ahead uh, just a little bit earlier. So I'm wondering, um, it sounds like you've always been a very sort of diligent person. So what type of steps have you taken in order to place yourself in the position you are in right now? And what can people who are listening right now who are interested in, you know, being designers and ultimately being creative directors, uh, what can they do in order to position themselves in similar types of um, occupations and disciplines? Yeah. Um, you know, this has been a tough week for many of us, you know, of people of color, black and brown people, yeah. designers, creators out there. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's, you know, I mentioned this, you know, I was talking to somebody and I mentioned it's just like we're always in a constant state of fight. Yeah. And for, for me, when I think about, you know, hard work and really just putting in the hours and effort, mm-hmm. It's just became like a part of like who I am, constantly learning, constantly digging, mm-hmm. pushing. Because I felt like I, I knew that, and I felt this, and I seen this that I had to work so much harder than, than many others. Yeah. Um, you know, and for the young person coming up, it's it's you know it's sad to say, but you know it's almost like you know embrace the situation you're in, mm-hmm. um, and 
and just dig and work hard and just be prolific in your creation. Just put out constant work. Mm. Um, you know, I worked really hard in that sense just to always be noticed. And, you know, when I come into the room, you're going to know I'm there. And yes. I've, I've always, like, proved my worth through my work and my mm-hmm. work ethic. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I might not have been able to get e- get some of these positions as easy as others, even though you had I had the work. But mm-hmm. what you can never deny me is the fact that I, I, I made my presence felt and seen. Mm-hmm. And I think for young creators, you're just going to have to work really, really hard because one day you're going to be in a position where you're going to be that voice speaking on this podcast, talking <laughs> to the next generation. And so I look at it like, you know, yeah, I'm, I feel like I'm really exhausted sometimes and I'm working mm-hmm. really hard, but I'm not working for me. I'm working for so many others that might get something out of something I say or something I do. Um, and so I kind of hold that close to me and it's been, and this has been becoming more and more a part of who I am. The bigger I get, the, the more I move up the ladder. Um, so just being kind, being positive and mm-hmm. working really hard, um, and that's that's really what's going to take you further. It's your personality and your character and the way in which you go about the work that you do. Definitely. Uh, so that yeah. that yeah, that's a really really well uh, well p- a put point. Uh, just in terms of making sure that you not only are being professional, but you're also being personable at the same time. And I think, yep. as you said, it definitely translates and places you in those positions where you do have an opportunity not only to benefit yourself, but to also benefit others that are coming up behind yeah. you. So, with regard to your first position, so you know you're fresh out of school. I believe you went to uh, Pittsburgh the school of design there. Uh, so what did that initial position teach you uh, with regard to the things you learned in, in, in your courses uh, as well as the type of career yeah. you'd want to have? Yeah, absolutely. So I, you know, right out of school, I, um, you know, I had been searching for a job and it probably took me about six months, which mm-hmm. is, you know, by, by many other standards, it's really fairly quick. Yeah. Um, and how the position came about is it, there was a, star, a startup agency and, uh, outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, two mm-hmm. guys, and they had a startup and they hired me. And I learned a very important thing with that job that, that really mm-hmm. kind of carried with me. Yes. And, and so I can kind of briefly kind of go into it. And no, so please do. I actually got... I, I actually got laid off from that job. Oh. So, I, you know, I, I didn't do anything wrong. I mm-hmm. kind of went in there every day. I did my job. Yeah. And um, it was one of those situations where we were in a time where, because I had went to school, um, the longer stories, I went to school for animation, switched mm-hmm. into graphic design. Yeah. And so this job was largely graphic design, and I was doing a lot of print work. But they were at a challenging time in their agency in that the world was getting digital. Websites mm-hmm. and web work was yeah. becoming more more prevalent, and mm-hmm. they I didn't I didn't have that skill, and so how it panned out is I there I had been spending a lot of dead time just in in my office. They had I had a little mini office, go figure. <laughs> but um, I spent a lot of time just kind of like doing busy work. They didn't have a lot of work for me at one point, and okay. instead of being aware of my situation, I just kind of just. You know, I just, like, did tutorials, and I, you know, did what any other young student would do, you know, if you don't have the work, and they were cool with it, but one day they came in, and they were like, 
hey, Corey, um, you know, we, we can't really afford to keep you on much longer. We can probably give you maybe one more paycheck. Mm-hmm. And I was done. That was, that was my day. And, okay. and what that taught me is to, I, I never wanted to be in that position yeah. where I was like replaceable or you could be without me. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And so instead of like, at that moment, I, I should have, I should have really been more aware of my situation and really looking for ways to, to create value mm-hmm. for them. And, and so it just, it just put me in this, like, in this, this sort of like state of like, you know what, that's never going to happen to me again. And I'm going to do everything to make you feel me in my presence. And that's kind of where that thinking started to happen. So, um, you know, thankfully they gave me a pretty good recommendation. I was able to kind of move, move on, move on to another position eventually. Um, mm. but yeah, that was a, a really tough, tough position to be yeah. in. Yeah, no, I can imagine. But the the great thing is, as you mentioned, is that you you took that as a learning lesson. And you're able to translate into another position. Uh, I'm wondering, other than other than design, uh, what are some of your other passions? I know earlier you mentioned animation, uh, but what are some of your other passions that you enjoy? Oh man, that's good. That's a good question. <laughs> I, you know, people people always kind of give me a hard time because, like, they're like, "Do you ever sleep? What do you? What do you like? You're always kind of doing something." And so, like, when I'm like on the weekends and stuff, like, I might be taking a class, and okay. and they're like, "Okay, you're a creative director." It's like, "What do you, you? You probably don't even need to do this kind of stuff anymore." But yeah. but like. I just never, I just never want to become that older designer who's out of touch, you know, mm. and who's not, who doesn't understand where the technology is at the mm. moment. And so, um, I mean, I spent a lot of, a lot of time being passionate by design and doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, so, you know, as far as free time and other stuff, like, I, you know, you know, I'll go to the movies and do like all, all those sort of things. Yeah. I like to go out to eat. I'm a, I'm a I'm a big fan of cooking. I love to cook. Yes. Um, I actually have a, a twin twin brother who is a chef. Yes. And um, yeah, and mm. a passion project that he and I had have done together since school is we have our own brand of barbecue sauce. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, and and so that was kind of like a passion hobby. Um, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll do a plug, JonesandBarbecue dot com. Yeah, please. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so so that sort of food and cooking has always been been a, a big passion of mine, um, and uh, you know when I can I do like I like to fish. Many people don't know that okay. about me, but, fish, right. but I yeah I don't know I, I just like the peacefulness of like uh, uh, of nature and yeah. water and all oh, that. Yeah. It's kind of kind of been like a, a zen thing for me when I do get a chance to to do it. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. So it's interesting because in researching a little bit about you, I came across that and I believe you've been in business for 17 years. So first of all, congratulations on that. That's a really an amazing milestone when you think about it. Um, Thank you. Yeah, and I was just also wondering, how, how did that come about? How did you and your brother decide on barbecue sauce, given, as you said, that, you know, the culinary arts, you know, it's a kaleidoscope of, uh, you know, different options that you can choose from. So when I initially read that, I thought yeah. there's an interesting story behind that. So why, why barbecue sauce? Oh, man. Uh, you know, so our family... Um, you know, my you know, my mother's side of the family, my, my father's side of the family, 
mm-hmm. there was always like that cooking and grilling yeah. and barbecue. Yeah. We've always done that. Uh, we didn't particularly come from the southern states where barbecue is such a cult-like thing, but we always enjoyed it personally and loved mm-hmm. a good barbecue mm-hmm. and, and, and the thing, and what barbecue sort of stood for. To us, barbecue mm-hmm. life was like about family mm-hmm. and togetherness and mm-hmm. being outside and, and eating together. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so really it came, it was just that and the fact that we just loved to eat barbecue. <laughs> and the funny, the funny thing was, is it was so random how it, how it came to be. Um, you know, I, when, me and my brother were initially, you know, kind of going to be going to different schools. Mm-hmm. And we had found out that the Art Institute had a, a two-year-old um, culinary program. So oh. we kind of end up just c- continuing our life of being roommates in school. Okay. And so it randomly one day my brother's like, hey, man, I got an idea for some sauce. We could, like a barbecue sauce, but, but, but like putting coffee in it. Think wow. about it. Wow, okay. Interesting. Coffee. Co- Coffee has that roasted flavor. It tastes yeah. really good on barbecue. Hmm. And he was like, and you're doing design. You can make the label. So it was just a funny thing that we just <laughs> decided to do together. Yeah. I mean, and I ended up making a label, and he did all the research. He figured out how to get the product, uh, you know, uh, you know, certified FDA, all the, all the nutritional facts, all the details that you would need to get it to be wow. um, sold in stores. Yes. So he did all that research, and, you know, we end up kind of uh, – just putting our heads together and, and we, and we did it. And we actually, we actually just got it packaged wow. and he and I have always been like many entrepreneurs. We've always had mm-hmm. that very like hunger, mm-hmm. you know, we, we didn't partic- we didn't grow up particularly well off. So like yeah. there was always that sense that we had to work hard and we mm-hmm. just, and we can make our own way. Definitely. Um, and I, and I take a lot of pride in the fact that we did it the right way and we mm-hmm. didn't go down the wrong path exactly. whenever our, mm-hmm. our, life was designed to go down the wrong path yeah we what we what we had is very positive influences within our our circle of uh, immediate family mm-hmm. but we had you know we had we have family members that you know you know have lost their lives to, to violence and mm. drugs and, and, and alcohol so yeah. we i just think about think about this all the time i could have went down that path but yeah. i didn't and mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, my, my parents, my mother for, for kind of instilling like positive influence in our, in our lives. So, Mm. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you know, it's interesting sort of that path that you went down with regards to, um, putting your dream forward because not only I think is it inspirational for you to step out of that situation in which you know there's there's violence and uh, also um, substance abuse but it's also inspirational that you'd followed your um, your vision because I think a yeah. lot of the times people are so scared to step out of what they don't know step into the unknown as far as entrepreneurialism is concerned and now there seems to be sort of a cult around being an entrepreneur where it's a status symbol but there's so much hard work that goes into it that a lot of people I think initially getting into it don't fully realize so when you said you did it the right way uh, the way I interpreted that was you know that there's so many intricate steps that are involved in so many things that can go wrong and you're constantly addressing you know different challenges that are coming up so I'm wondering in that journey and obviously it still continues to this day what are some of the uh, most arduous challenges that you faced and and overcame uh, and ultimately were able to address. And what type of lessons did you learn from uh, those types of impediments? Yeah, 
Yeah, um, well, you know, they everybody says this, you know, failure, failure, there's yeah. going to be lots of failure. And I think that some, I think the, the thing is that so many people just get caught up in, like, you know, the idea of being a business owner, yeah. a business owner mm-hmm. is going to give you so much freedom, and yep. you're going to just you're going to be live, living the dream. You're yep. going to have so much creative freedom. But the reality is, it's just hard work, mm-hmm. and you, you can't escape work. work. Mm-hmm. Um, to get to, to a point where you can consider yourself, or others may consider you successful, mm-hmm. there is lots of hours, oh, late yeah. nights, mm-hmm. um, trial and error, mm-hmm. and it's not going to be a it's not going to be a perfect road. And yeah. I think you just need to you need to embrace that and mm-hmm. and take it for what it is. And and yeah, that's true. Don't be afraid to fail, fail or take risks because that's a natural part of part of growth. Mm-hmm. And I've been a part of a lot a lot of other smaller sort of uh, you know business ventures and things. And I think that the barbecue itself has been so much of a hobby where we never really are, we never really looked at it like we're going to be the next Heinz ketchup or, you know, or another. We, we just kind of like, we like to do this and we're in, yeah. you know, we, we keep enough stock to kind of keep our local grocery stores in back in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Wow. We keep them sort of stocked up. Um, you know, now it's a little bit slower time and it's one of those yeah. things, the more effort we put into it, the more we'll get out of it. Um, yeah. But I've learned lessons that in, in other things that have really shaped me more so than the actual barbecue business. But yeah, um, yeah I, I think yeah, it's just it's going to be it's going to be a struggle, and just being willing to accept a loss when it comes. And it will come, and yeah. uh, just move on, and and le- as long as you learn from it, like that, so many people just carry on and never learn from their mistakes, and repeat and repeat and repeat, and yeah. really, you just you have to kind of really do a retrospective in a way, and really think about your your um, you know these situations, and, and and pull something, take something away. Definitely, you mentioned earlier that you'd learned some lessons um, from um, your your other professional life. Um, and I'm just wondering what some of those lessons were. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, tricky tack sort of like uh, business kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I you know I probably can't go into too much detail, oh, yeah, but I was, of part of a, uh, yeah. I was part of a, a startup where um, we, uh, we came up and this is a, fr- a friend of mine locally, uh, who who had kind of came up with a, a Bluetooth speaker oh, <laughs> football, wow, okay. and and so he so we had this company was called uh, Invincible Audio, and mm. it was uh, the product was called the Bro Ball. We, you know, we ran through a large Kickstarter campaign, and mm-hmm. we really put a lot of effort into the fact that we were the first one to come up with a speaker and a football. Oh wow! And okay, yeah. And uh, yeah, and so like m- not too many people know know that I was a very sm- much smaller partner, and these are you know this sort of came out very randomly. I had a friend of mine who I had worked with uh, in my first job out here in the D.C. area. Mm-hmm. I had met this guy, and he had thought about me years later. He said, "Hey, I know a guy who do design mm-hmm. and has some business sense." So he introduced me to Ben Burgess, is, is his is his friend. The other guy is Jay Strotman. Okay. And so we, we kind of we they brought me into their kind of idea and I started to help them shape the business and start to help them shape the product and marketing and we you know, we put a lot of effort into it and we spent oh man, we spent a years really working on it. And so what it came down to is 
we had a patent pending and wow. that patent would have, would have cost like 10, 10 grand to get executed. And this oh. is, you know, I'm just trying to think back to the, to the details, but, um, we, we weren't, we weren't able to get the funds and, and what happened was our product ended up being stolen or, you know, we don't know the details, but we do oh know goodness. that the product was launched and, um, and, we weren't a part of it, uh, no. so we, you know. I think we, I think what what it was is we shared our ideas pretty publicly, and oh. we really kind of yeah. And mm. and with and you know you learn a lesson like yeah. you know without a patent, there's really not much legally you can do about it. But uh, you know a, a very prominent figure within the within the um, professional uh, sports world end up coming out with the with a product um, and. We don't know. We don't know the details, but uh, it kind of just kind of put us in a position where we were very kind of disgruntled for a while. But uh, yeah. but I looked at that moment as like, okay, that didn't happen, and I know why it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. What would I do differently? What would I do differently next time? And mm-hmm. you move on. Definitely. You know, you move on. There's, you know, it's. But that was a very important lesson to learn about business and NDAs and all these different things about disclosure. Yes. Um, and so my advice to anybody else is just really do your research and really make sure you're covering your bases in terms of your ideas and, and, and making sure you're really protecting your intellectual property on, on these things. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was a small share partner, so I didn't lose as much. I feel other than, you know, I lost, like, I was really passionate about the product and really engrossed in it. and. You know, I felt more, you know, upset that it didn't happen than uh, a financial loss or anything. Because it was just something I was just happy to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned something. I mean, this whole situation, as you're speaking, it, it um, you know, reminds me of a conversation I had with a friend as well, just in terms of, you know, educating young people about, you know, being entrepreneurs and being involved in business. And I'm just wondering what your opinion is with regards to, you know, embedding this type of information in, in high school curriculum where, you know, students are learning about, you know, NDAs and term sheets and, uh, you know, the best ways to, you know, get investors together and, you know, the different rounds, the seed rounds that you go through if you're going to take your company public. Uh, because I think, as you said, I mean, it's a specialized type of knowledge that exists outside of academia and so for you what are your thoughts in terms of you know bringing and harnessing this knowledge and then sharing it with young people especially those who are really interested in business oh absolutely 100 yeah. it needs to be a part of uh, a curriculum and you know i, I mean even as late as in, in, in high school but i think even at the middle school level mm-hmm. i think that um i think that Business is is a crucial aspect to everything you'll do in your life. Yeah. Understanding business will, you know, under think about your design career, being a designer, mm-hmm. but you're working for a business, so yeah. you need to understand how that business generates revenue, mm-hmm. because ultimately, the ultimately that that boils back down to why, how they can keep you employed, mm-hmm. how much your salary is, mm-hmm. and the more you understand about business and how businesses grow that's going to make you more desirable to any kind of position you're going to go after if you understand the business side of it. Definitely. Um, so I, everything I do in, 
in my career, if I want to take a new course or learn something new, I try to think about the business case for the clients that I work for or, or the, the companies that I work for. It's like, how can I make this a win-win? Mm-hmm. And so I've learned that just through being an entrepreneur and, mm-hmm. and just trial and error and just doing, you know, having, you know, smaller businesses and doing it on my own. But mm-hmm. I didn't have any formal education in this. Nobody told me how to do this. I didn't even learn it in college. Yes. And the thing, the thing is, it's just like, I don't know why that's missing, and mm. and I, it really should be, and and especially you know for for black businesses and, oh, and young black men, mm-hmm. it is even more sure. crucial because mm-hmm. there there is fundamentally a lack. Um, there's a lack of wealth within our community mm-hmm. more than any other other uh, minority community, and it's our education systems don't seem to be offering us everything that we need. And I think you're absolutely right that business should be should be brought into the fold of of, of education systems um, very early on because if you can teach a kid or teach a, a young person how to run a business in you know, I think that we'll start to see that change. We'll start to see more business owners out there in the world. Um, we shouldn't have to just, you know, experience all, you know all these failures and mistakes that others have, uh, have experienced because we don't know because of lack of a knowledge in yeah. how to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, it should definitely be a part of the education system. Uh, I, totally. Yeah. I agree as well. And as as you're talking, I'm thinking about a a talk that Richard Wright gave. Uh, you know, the the billionaire who who's an engineer, and but ultimately got involved in investing. And he basically said that we he just verbatim is exactly the same thing you just articulated in the sense that you know sharing knowledge is key. And um, you know, he kind of took it a step further, and he was he was giving a commencement address. I forget what historical uh, black universe, black college it was, but basically, I think it was Morehouse or anyway. So basically, what he said was that, you know, what I'm going to do actually now is I'm going to wipe out your student debt, so you're you're actually going to start fresh. Yeah. And you know, and in another talk, he was saying that within our communities, we ha- definitely have to keep that knowledge, you know, in a place where it's easily accessible and easily transferable because other communities do that and they do that very readily they keep their wealth concentrated and that's something that you know we definitely need to get better at uh in terms of just being able to you know to share that information to empower other individuals and to you know make sure that as a community we're progressing especially given the fact that you know our spending power is like in the trillions so it doesn't really make sense for us not to um you know invest within our own communities because then everybody wins everybody wins you're 100 percent right richard's 100 percent right i think that um you know, out of a lot, out of all the sort of minority groups to, you know, come to America and really kind of succeed, I think we suffer the most. Um, the black community suffered the most from this, uh, this lack of kind of sticking together in the yeah. sense of business and lifting each other up. And, you know, it's an unfortunate thing, but I think that, um, I think we absolutely need to come together. And I think right now we're, there's so much going on right now. It's, yeah. you know, you know, and the George Floyd kind of thing has just really kind of got me razzled right now. Yeah, and I, think I hear that you 100%. We're, 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 we're seeing us kind of being together in that sense. 
And the the only way to really affect change is for us to be putting ourselves in those positions to be the change makers. Yeah. And uh, so more black owned businesses, more 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 creators in in this field is you know just you know really kind of you know us kind of getting into those positions where you normally don't see people like us. And I think that is gonna that's gonna be important kind of formula into us making ultimate change in the end but yeah you're absolutely right we have to be lifting each other up and supporting each other in any way we can yeah and and that brings me to the point of also mentorship and how important that is um so with regards to your own development who were your earlier mentors and you know as a mentor because i imagine that young people are, are you know, soliciting your advice. What are some of the things that you actually communicate to them in terms of, you know, them and bettering themselves uh, with regard to the professions that they're going into? Yeah, um, you know, I never really truly had a mentor in a professional mm. sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, starting out, I, 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 you know, I kind of was in a lot of positions where it was just, I was by myself. I was like a lone designer at many places. And, you know, I, what I saw as, as like mentors is just like, I, well, I take a little bit from everybody. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, I, I was a huge basketball fan, Michael Jordan fan. Oh, yeah. I was also a huge, huge Bruce Lee fan. And then nice. ultimately, uh, yeah. you know, ultimately people like Anthony Bourdain yeah. and like these, these really, all these different important people that, because the, the thing that people don't, don't realize is a role model doesn't have to be somebody f- physically there for you and always somebody to call. But a role model can be, or a mentor can be somebody that you see and you admire and you like mm-hmm. qualities of them. Yes. But I look at, I look at mentorship as like, take all the, all the people I really admire and the positive qualities, the pieces of them that I want to adopt and be a part of my DNA and me. Mm-hmm. And I looked at that as like that. I built my own mentor out of a, a piece of multiple different uh, positive influences. And mm-hmm. I think that a lot of us feel like the lack of mentorship means the lack of, of growth and we need that. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's necessarily true. I just think you need to you need to sort of open your eyes for for how you pull influences and where you're you're getting that mentorship from and and that doesn't necessarily have to be from an another design individual or somebody that you have easy access to. Oh, definitely. I, I think you're 100 percent right. And that's one of the great things about, you know, being able to access the information so readily uh, as we can at this point in time in history. You know, Google, you can pretty much get all the answers that you need. But beyond that, yep. you can also you know read biographies. Uh, you can watch um, videos. Uh, you can join professional associations if you'd like to. So, yeah, definitely the information is out there. It's, it's just um, but I like what you said earlier about, you know, creating sort of a collage of all these different people and then kind of grafting them together uh, for your yeah. for your mentorship. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, one of the things that I also discovered about you as well is that you're featured in 28 Days of Black Designers, uh, which is fantastic. Yeah. So when you got that news, how did it hit you and, and what did it mean to you? Wow. I, so I was just like, um, you know, the founder had... You know, Tim Hikes, he had reached out to me, and I, and I was, you know, I felt like, 
why me? <laughs> you know, I was thinking like, you know, and, and, you know, I never really, I never really looked at like the work I did getting me to a position where I may be noticed. Mm-hmm. I just did the work, you know, yeah. and I just, I put, I put everything in it and I was passionate about my work. I'm always passionate about my work. Mm-hmm. And, and I think a lot, a lot of that sort of came from the work I did for the National Museum of Africa. African American history and culture yes. here in the DC area, mm-hmm. and I think that I just looked at that like, wow, that is an opportunity for me to kind of share my story, my voice, and mm-hmm. um, and start to get my name out there, and to to maybe start taking it serious. This idea of me being a positive role model mm-hmm. in in my community, and so that's kind of where that spark came from. And you know, it's why I was so eager to do this particular podcast with you all is because, like, I feel like no matter how big or small the platform, the voice is just my voice is just one more voice for you to further your cause and thus to further our, our cause. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. And, um, and so I, you know, that I, I was very humbled by that, that, um, that, and I was, you know, more than happy to do it. Yeah, I know. That's fantastic. And we really appreciate it as well. Uh, given the fact that you have accomplished a lot and it seems that you're very modest about it. So that, that's also a very inspiring point as well. Um, but yeah, no, we're, we're very appreciative. So, you know, thank you so much. And, and you mentioned the, the, um, uh, the history, sorry, <laughs> the um, African-American History Museum. And I'm wondering how that opportunity came about and what that process was like uh, with regards to, you know, the meetings and then developing a concept for the web, uh, the web design. So, yeah, what was that process like? Yeah, um, so that actually, it, it came about through... Um, through the company I work for currently, which is called Forum oh, One, yeah. and Forum One is a mission-driven kind of creative consultancy. We do design work for nonprofits and mm-hmm. mission-driven uh, businesses. And for me, there was always something very exciting about being a part of an organization like this mm-hmm. because. I could work for a Nike or Coca-Cola or doing some of these major brands, but I thought that I took a little bit of pride in the fact that I can bring that level of design quality and design thinking to an industry like uh, nonprofits where there's more value in getting that message out there in terms of impact and it's not mm-hmm. reduced to more product sales or, yeah. or, or something of that traditional sense. So that that opportunity sort of came out of uh, you know this this position, and at the time I had I was uh, I think the senior interaction designer, um, mm-hmm. and it was really one of my first big projects, and I was at, brought into that project. Um, I was new to the company, um, but I had worked really hard, had a great portfolio, and um, they felt confident that I was the right person to work on that that mm-hmm. that project, and. You know, it involved uh, going in and pitching, pitching to the to the the museum, the Smithsonian, and mm-hmm. um, you know, so many of us get a lot of anxiety about uh, yeah. pitching and, and being in front of uh, a lead or a client. But if you if you take a step back and just think about what it is you're doing, you are having a conversation and you are talking about why you are good at what you do, and mm-hmm. if you're passionate about your work. Just be yourself. 
don't worry about a pitch. Don't worry about selling your idea. Just be true to who you are. Show that passion. And that's kind of really how I've uh, been in position, very positive positions on the on the business pitching side. Is mm-hmm. I don't go in there and I'm not a salesman. I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm just trying to tell you that I think I personally feel passionate about this project, and I will give you my all in working on it. Mm-hmm. And so I think. Um, you know, we had a great team kind of go in there, and they really saw us as as a, an ideal partner to help them do it. And mm-hmm. I was I was so excited about the project, and I still am now. We still actually work with them. Yes. Today, okay. and um, I think it was just I think it's just that that kind of dynamic and that kind of energy that they they've always loved in our company and, and myself is the fact that I you know bring a lot of energy to the project. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. oh. it was, yeah, it was it was bigger than um, it was bigger than just a, a museum project or just another web project for me personally. And mm-hmm. um, so, I mean, I can talk a little bit more about the process if you if you want. Yeah, no, to, definitely. Um, Please go ahead. Okay, cool. Yeah, so um, you know, for me, I looked at that project as like. Wow, this is this is such a big deal that I get to work on this museum. That is, it's really a, a first of all, it's a major thing for the this museum to be on the National Mall. Mm-hmm. And Lonnie Bunch and the and the and the, and the those folks up who the higher ups who really worked so hard for many many years before the museum even ever broke ground on the National Mall, they have. Years trying to get a, a, an African American museum on the National Mall, and that was itself a major, a major achievement. Mm-hmm. Um, but that brought a lot of pressure because oh, yeah. I, I had to design this thing, yeah, that's right. and you know, it, you know, I wasn't by, I wasn't alone. I had, you know, I had a nice team. We had amazing, uh, you know, user experience designers and developers who are all in it with you, and um, but. Ultimately, the final designs and execution rest on my shoulders, and uh, it it was like I felt I, I got the sense of like the, this obligation that this not this didn't need to be good; it needed to be great. And mm-hmm. keep in mind, they had they hadn't really had a, an established brand at the time. They no. the museum didn't even exist yet; it wasn't even open. So you're designing a museum site for a. That needed to tell the toughest um, stories of our American history. That you needed to represent that in the design. You need to be able to tell those stories. And so, not only that, there there was a significant number of people that wouldn't be able to actually make it to the physical museum. So, the digital experience needed to be it needed to be different than a collection of pieces. It needed to tell a story. It needed to be something that people can experience if they can't make it to the actual museum. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, so the, the process was, it was a, um, it was a very in-depth process. We, we spent a lot of time really getting to know the museum curators, the, yes. the, the collection, the people who go out and get these collection items, the exhibition designers. And so we spent a lot of time collaborating with them. Mm-hmm. We learned a lot about how uh, the exhibition designers were approaching the physical space. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've had the chance to go. No, um, not yet, but I'm really looking forward to, uh, to visiting. Yeah, it's a very, very cool and inspiring space, and um, there's there's so much uh, packed into that 
that museum that it's really hard to experience it all in one day. Yeah. Um, but I just I just felt like that I needed to figure out how to, how I can make this museum stand out. What can I do that was unique? And one of the things we really latched on to is the power of, of storytelling. And mm-hmm. I, I've had, you know, I had these ideas of, like, um, I spend a lot of time, like I mentioned earlier, that I spend a lot of time looking at commercial design trends and commercial websites. And mm-hmm. I thought that, for as much for as much as a as a Nike or Under Armour or whatever product sites put into their product, why couldn't we take the collection items, the pieces in the actual physical museum, and treat them like as if they were a shoe mm-hmm. and highlighting the pro- as a product? Think about them like that. And one of the things that um, I kind of led with is these these images of uh, Muhammad Ali's headgear. First of all, I was a huge Muhammad Ali and boxing fan. Oh, definitely. And yeah. so. It was so cool to be able to take his uh, actual headgear that he actually trained in, mm-hmm. which is, a, is part of their collection, and, and reimagine it and think about it in the sense that I'm going to I'm going to think about this in terms of like a product design and how you would sell a shoe, mm-hmm. and not on, not only that there there was substance behind it, and yeah. and so I started thinking about okay I have this headgear right, mm-hmm. but what about what about that. It, could we really explore that the story behind it, the unique story of Ali? And so we started overlaying this headgear with very, you know, with sort of imagery in the background of Ali, and really kind of creating more depth to this piece. And we really latched on to the idea that it wasn't just about the collection items, the objects. It was about the story in which they told, and the story behind it, and the story about the the person who wore it, and mm-hmm. and and that unique process of curating it. So mm-hmm. those the, the the whole entire site, you know, was sort of based around this idea of taking the collection items and telling a deeper story about those pieces. And it and it wasn't all glamour. It wasn't yeah. just uh, the Ollie headgear. It, we had to show things such as, you know, uh, a slave's shackle. And, yeah. you know, I thought, it's, there's so much power in that in itself. But mm-hmm. if we can tie it back to a deeper story about our history. Um, so it was just really, really rewarding to work on that. And um, I'm glad that we're still working with them today. We're making constant improvements. And, um, and yeah, we had to, you know, end up find out we, we, we submitted the win for a Webby award and we ended up, you know, winning an award for it. And, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And that was such a great experience. Mm-hmm. And, it was, and it just felt really good to go, you know, we spent some time down in New York and just to go down there and represent the museum. Wow. Yeah. And, um, and the work it was just mm-hmm. a really rewarding experience for me and yeah I can't yeah. imagine how fulfilling that must have been because not only are you doing something that you love and you enjoy and is your passion but you're also doing it for a greater purpose where right? you're representing the community in a very positive way especially given the fact that there's so much work and so much effort that went to uh, you know creating that space in the first place so uh, yeah yeah yeah, I was really, I was thinking about that. So just as far as that, because what struck me is when you were speaking about, you know, creating these stories and linking them back to something deeper. And so I wanted to get your opinion just with regard to narrative and what your thoughts were with regards to the importance of narrative, uh, whether you're talking about, um, you know, a specific product or you're talking about an experience. And, and, you, and the way in which that you leverage that narrative 
uh, and what you do in order to, you know, bring about the type of story that not only represents whatever you're focusing on, but uh, also um, th the aspects in which people can relate to on a much broader level. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a big one. I think uh, I think it's never about the design tactic or the end the end result of design. It's mm -hmm. always been about the narrative and the bigger story. Yes, and I think we as designers get get a little bit caught up in what's the newest trend or tactic, but really, what's the big idea? What's the story? What's mm -hmm. going to make this kind of be separate from any other thing you're going to see or experience online? And so the narrative and the story component is always the most important part of anything you're designing. And, um, you know, I always try to think think about that in my design work. Mm -hmm. And I spend a lot of time sketching and thinking thinking uh, about my design as a whole and, mm -hmm. and the follow through, what's next? Okay, I'm going to show this visual, but what's next? Where, mm -hmm. where am I going? What is it going to say? Mm -hmm. And it's almost... I when I do like a website design, I think about I think about the different sections or different pieces as a mini storyboard. Mm -hmm. And I talk about this all the time at work. Is I do sketching. I sketch websites in in a way where I'm um, I'm sketching like mini. I call it storyboarding for websites. Mm -hmm. And um, thinking about each point of interaction as a moment to tell a story and to drive drive engagement deeper and deeper and deeper. Mm -hmm. um, if you think about your design in terms of layers like that, there's always, you know, there's there's always going to be much more substance to your work when you start to approach it from that lens, mm -hmm. um, and create as much depth as possible. But I, but I think, yeah, you're you're onto something in the sense that narrative is is like the key in being able to tell a story and. You know, you're not. You may not need to be a copywriter or have access to a copywriter, but what you do have access to is research and internet and you know Google. You know, we're yeah. we're able to find out a lot more information, and also rely on your client to really help you tell those those stories. And we pushed our client. Um, it, the 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 site was actually they were actually going to launch the website without that that story piece that part about the exhibition collections mm -hmm. and when we found out that they just weren't able to kind of come up with it they weren't able to write the narratives as quickly in time for launch and they knew they wanted to launch but we really kind of like the agency we all said no it is you know this can't launch without that piece the narrative story is, is the that's the soul of the website mm -hmm. you know and we knew we knew how much weight that meant to the overall design experience and being able to tell that the those stories of uh you know of our of our history and culture and Definitely. so we um we kind of dug deep and helped them kind of prepare a few stories or case studies to kind of talk through the ob objects mm -hmm. and it's just it, it because we realized that it's not just about this designer but it's about that bigger narrative and story Oh, definitely. Yes. Um, and it's interesting. I'm wondering what the feedback was, because as you mentioned, there was a little bit of, of pushback and, and trepidation in terms of doing that. So ultimately, at the end of this process, what was, what type of feedback did you receive um, from the individuals that you were speaking with at the African-American History Museum? Yeah. Um, so we uh, we knew that we had to 
push the design. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you do something now, and, and this is really, really true for the web design world, there's a lot of you know people who come from more traditional design backgrounds to, that are in the web world. Mm-hmm. And the web inherently has a lot of limitations in terms of what, what you can do and what you can, what the client can support. Mm-hmm. And so, so some of the pushbacks we got is we, you know, we wanted, we knew that we wanted to take these collection items and really treat them as, in the sense of products. So you think about the level of investment that a shoe brand takes in, in how they treat their products and isolate them and have them, you know, in a three-dimensional form. They put a lot of energy into that. But we know that a client who has to maintain their own website doesn't always have the, the technical skills in-house to be able to support that kind of level of design. And, yes. and so, you know, it, there was some resistance initially that how they were going to maintain that. And um, so one of the things that we did is said, well, you know what, we can train you. We can mm-hmm. we can build you tutorials. We can build you a package because yeah. we believe so much in this that we want to help you support it. And so what it ended up being is that we put a very robust guide onto like to how to how to work with Photoshop. Like think about that to teach a client how to use a tool that designers use and to make it sort of simple and easy to use and, and like, uh, it, and I was dummy proof it, dummy proof it in a way and mm-hmm. kind of build it, build it in a way where they can, they can then read something and understand exactly how to do a cutout of a product or, you know, I call it a product, but cut out of an object. Mm-hmm. So we, 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 we spent a lot of the time just standing up for our design decisions. And I think that one of the things that a lot of younger designers do is, they feel like they don't have an, a voice and mm-hmm. they feel like they can't challenge, challenge a client. Yeah. But it's, that's really not true. And you're, you're not going to win every battle, but what you do have to understand is you have an opinion, you have a point of view, you have a voice and you can use it. Mm-hmm. And there's no harm in you both, you know, being vocal about it. And I was always vocal in my decisions. Mm-hmm. I really think about the things that I do and why I do them. Mm -hmm. And I am not afraid to communicate that to a client. Um, And of course, it's always positive. I'm always coming with positive energy. Mm -hmm. But I always back up the reasons why I believe in something and how I can help them. I see this as a value. Mm -hmm. I want you to see it as a value. And I'm willing to help you by any means necessary. And so, um, so yeah, I think so. I think in the grand scheme of things, challenges we, we encountered, which is typical back and forth kind of things, they're not, and really it's just a, the client doesn't understand a lot of design tactics. Um, they're not designers. They don't understand it. So being able to communicate them, communicate to them in a way where they understand is speaking their language, you know, communicating without jargon and very, you know, very clearly about the things your design decisions is really important in you being able to sell and communicate your idea. And so that's super important. Yeah, definitely. hundred percent. So with regards to, you mentioned some interesting things earlier um, that you sketch out and you create a storyboard for websites. So I'm wondering, you know, who are some of your favorite artists and who do you look to uh, in terms of being, um, you know, really, really good at their craft and uh, the epitome of what it means to be an artist? Oh, man. Uh, let me think. Um, so what, So I'm really a big... Uh, 
I'm a big fan of the the motion design industry, and, okay. and like I, it, it it's something that like I do. I am a web web designer, but I'm mm. also like a brand designer, identity designer. So mm. I've, uh, I've I've pulled influences from a lot of these different people. I think one that comes to my mind right now, it, and it's just because I've been looking at a lot of their stuff lately, lately is. Uh, is Handel Eugene. He's a um, Eugene, okay. he's a design. Yeah, Handel Eugene is a designer, uh, a motion designer, and you know, I, I just you know I find him very inspiring because he's I've you know, I heard a few podcasts and he's talking about a lot of different things and he worked on some of the Spider Man spots oh, and wow. he he's um you know he's uh I forget his exact background um I think it's a Haitian background but he's a black mm-hmm. designer and mm-hmm. I thought. And so, you know, I'm older than him, I believe, and and but but like I look at him like a, a very positive influence influence right now for from our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but I pull, I take a little bit of uh, inspiration in, in everybody. Um, what I do a lot, and when I look at inspiration, I don't just look at the site. I I try to find out who designed it. Yeah, I want to know what the, who, how many designers, who is the designer, is it the junior <laughs> designer. I'm, yeah. You know, I don't. I want to know everything about the project and how they approached it mm-hmm. and uh and and so like i do a lot of digging but I, and he comes to mind um there was a i'm a big fan of identity design and there's mm-hmm. a designer out of ireland named david airy uh i i uh i i've always been a big fan of him mm-hmm. because he was willing to give me feedback whenever i was just a student because i had bought one of his books and i said Man, I would love to know what he would say about my logos wow. at the time. <laughs> and so I sent him a message, and he's okay. in Ireland, and I, I I sent him a message. I was like, hey, you know, I, mm-hmm. first of all, I kind of, like, acknowledge the fact that I'm a big fan of his work, and I oh, think yeah. he's doing great work. And if he did have some time, could you look at my logos and give me some advice? Yes. And I and I didn't even think it, he would ever even contact me, <laughs> but he did. He, wow. he did, and he gave he gave me a lot of good advice and, and encouragement, and so like I felt really appreciative of that. So I've so I've always been a big fan of his, and I buy his books all the time. They're they're, they're great books. Um, for those listening, the logo design, love identity design, those are great great books on branding. Um, I'm a huge fan of branding and identity process as well. That's amazing that you actually you know reached out to him and he he reached out back um so for for those list people that are listening that may feel um a little bit of hesitation in terms of reaching out to their their heroes uh, you mentioned earlier just in terms of structuring the way that you reach out but what would you say uh to an individual that you know they they have a particular person in mind that they want to reach out to but they feel fear that you know, that person necessarily won't write them back or will think that they're demand or too demanding or something along those lines. Um, how should they structure their approach? So, as you said, you know, irrespective of what they believe, the people that they're actually trying to contact do reach back to them. Yeah, I think um, one of the things that I did and I, I mean, I, maybe I was a bit, a bit ahead of my time, but I was very like understanding that they're busy, and mm-hmm. I understood that that if you want somebody to give you a response, you need to understand, you need to show them that you know who they are and you understand mm-hmm. their work. And so, the, what I did is, I had been reading the book and I had been really researching that person that I that you know I admired his work and what he does. So I did a lot of research into him as a person, mm-hmm. and 
I think a bit of that came through in the email because I, I started the email with uh, a lack of agenda. It was more of like me giving them praise and, mm-hmm. and showing them that I understood their work. And I didn't, it wasn't a very long email. It was just, you know, was, you know, I can't even remember the exact email, but I think it was something like, you know, Hey David, I know you're a very busy individual, um, but I just wanted to say that I've, I've been reading through Logo Design Love, and um, it's amazing to see your process and hear about your approach to logos. I'm a big fan of this particular identity, and I really like your thought process here. And so this is something that I'm trying to adopt in my workflow and my growth. And would you have some time? And it doesn't have to be right away. I would love your initial thoughts at a quick glance of my identity works, um, you know, based on what you see. And, um, I, you know, thank you. I really appreciate it. Um, mm-hmm. Either way, I'm, I'm a big fan. That's it. Okay. Keep it super simple. Yeah. Um, and and uh, you'd be surprised. Like, you know what I mean? Like, who, like, if, when I get an email, if I get an email about my work and somebody truly understands it and, they, and, they, and they've done their research, it makes me feel good that I've made a difference for somebody, that I'm inspiring somebody. And I think that's, that was the case for him. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he, res- he responded back with a, a brief email. He, he gave me, like, some quick bullet points. I think, you know, I don't know, something like, you know, I think you're doing great work. You can mm. work on this, wow. this and that. And, yeah. But overall, really great stuff. That was, and, and you know what? That's all I needed to hear. I was like, wow. I, the, I was just amazed at the fact that he spent the time to even do that. And I think that uh, don't, don't be worried about if they're going to respond back to you. Mm-hmm. Just, just put, put it out there. And if they respond to you, then great. If they don't, don't take it personally. I mean, these folks are, are, are busy and, um, and, uh, yeah, just don't get afraid to kind of reach out and, and give somebody praise. Um, and you know, and you never know. But I think a lot of, a lot of times people reach out to these individuals with, with, uh, uh, their own agenda or trying to get somewhere or, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it, you know, in, in sort of the wrong way. And I think that, um, if you just be very honest about, about that interaction, I think more than likely you'll get a response, even if it is a little bit late. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hundred percent agree that, um, you know, it's interesting. I think it was Warren Buffett or somebody that else had said, you know, one of the keys in securing a mentor is exactly what you said, is making sure that, number one, you you express some type of empathy for the position that they're in in terms of their schedule. And number two is that you introduce what you're doing in a way that's palatable to them. Uh, but it is not demanding at the same time. You keep it open-ended, not, you know, I need to meet with you at this specific time, but just if you do have a moment, then... You know, uh, I would really appreciate any type of feedback that you can give to me. Um, one yeah, of the thi- absolutely. Yeah, one of the things that actually I was really impressed by as far as Form 1 is concerned is your your program with or your partnership with um, the Adahir program because uh, I think it's a sort of a very unique program. So for those people that don't know about it, could you just uh, tell us a little bit about the particular program and also the... Uh, involvement of form one of, of form one within that particular program. Which program was that again? The, uh, the maybe I'm pronouncing it wrong. The Adahar A A D H A A R program. Oh, the Adahar. Um, oh man, I you know you know honestly I don't I don't have a lot because I know I hadn't really worked on 
that particular project. Um, that uh, so I don't have I couldn't give a lot of a lot of details uh, about it specifically, um, but I do know our, our designers. You know, one of our younger designers, Kelsey Hicks. Uh, was I think she was she she uh, she actually led the rebranding of that particular project and um, yeah that was a little little bit uh, earlier on I don't have a lot of information about that one uh, to to give you um, yeah yeah no worries no worries it's just um, it just kind of struck me that uh, you were working with um, uh, with the state of uh, the the state of India or it, with that particular thing as far as you know the biometric identity system and. Uh, providing it, it to me, it sounded it. It read like a very like Philip Dick type of novel, where you know every citizen's getting like a I believe it's twelve or thirteen digit number that adheres to um, sort of their biological makeup, and I think it's like one one something billion people have already been registered, and yeah, so it, it's I'm just oh, my initial thought was wow, Form One is involved in a lot of really interesting projects. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and that's true, and I, and I think that uh, you know I I don't have a lot of information about that specifically, but really we at, at Forum One more than more than any place I've been is there is a deep investment in the alignment of a very of organizations doing really really prominent things out there and, and really. You know, you know, nonprofits and organizations are helping people across the world, and, and there's a lot of impact in the work that we do for our clients. And I think that's a really important thing for an agency to have something deeper to stand for. And, uh, and it's one of the reasons why I really enjoy working there is, is access to people like Adhar and, and other other sort of organizations out there doing really, really important work. Yeah, 100%. And one of the things also, too, that really impressed me is that um, your, your client as an average of, of retention is about, you know, six years. And so I'm wondering, um, what is your approach in order to keep those clients? And obviously those relationships are pretty strong for them to, you know, stay with you for, for that amount of time. So what is it that you're doing that's actually retaining uh, those clients for, for that period of time? Yeah, um, so we uh, we have really deep roots in tech, and um, you know, Form One itself has really been been really well known within the Drupal and development community. And uh, the company, certainly since I've been there, has been adding on more and more uh, creative uh, positions, designers, and so that that side of the business has grown over the over the past five years or so. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the things they always had is trust within the marketplaces. The clients have always trusted us. We, you know. We were well known within the tech, but really, what kind of keeps those clients working with us is our people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the client we, we we score really high in client relations, and we're known for getting the job done, and we're going to do whatever we can to get the job get done. done yeah. And I think I think certainly on my projects, it's been those per personal connections that really have kind of kept us in these long. Uh, long relationships and mm-hmm. it really comes down to having people working on these projects who really believe in it mm-hmm. and from a design standpoint you know uh, as design leaders we want to try to 
put people on projects that they're passionate about. Mm-hmm. And so that was one of the cool things. Is we try to align the designer with personal passions. If they're really passionate about something, we want to put them on that project. Mm-hmm. And we and because we realized that if they can connect with a project on a personal level, that will be seen by a client, and that energy gets transferred to those project meetings and those project teams and, and and ultimately the work is better because of it and I think that it's that's what they're seeing and um, you know we're getting better at our craft and mm-hmm. the agency is evolving we're adopting new technology but the, 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 the dynamic with our clients and the people and the energy that we bring to every project is what what's really I think is what's really keeping us in, in um, these long life cycles um, and it's great and it allows us, it opens up the doorway for us to work on a, a lot of different things. And African American Museum led to the film festival mm-hmm. project. And it led to so many other really great opportunities just from that one relationship in, in the past four years. And it's, it's, I think that has a lot to do with it. Mm-hmm. I, I think so as well. And, you know, as you're speaking, and I think one of the really important things, too, is, is that uh, you're able to... Um, not only communicate the value that you bring, but also to be empathetic to the clients that you're speaking to. So I just wanted to know what your thoughts were with regard to the importance of empathy when you're talking to not only clients, but also you're trying to communicate a message, um, you know, to the the broader public. Yeah, empathy, uh, huge. Empathy is is really, really important in... Design and everything we do mm-hmm. is this this ability to put yourself in the shoes of clients or yeah. their ultimate users is really what's going to help you sell your idea and really gain even more trust. Um, because it's only in when you truly understand them and their unique challenges can you actually create a successful product. Um, so having a deep level of empathy and care and passion in the work you're delivering is, is probably one of the most important things you can you can bring to any project definitely so last two questions and thank you so much Corey for for staying with us um number one what is one song on your playlist that uh most people would not expect you to like oh my goodness so <laughs> I, I i'm a big fan of like neo soul and okay. um i and uh, so i like a lot of neo soul like old school jill scott's and stuff oh, like yeah. that um, but I don't know if that would be like something that people wouldn't expect. Uh, but I do, I do like that. Like Neil saw like uh, Masego and FK, FKJ. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's a guy, a guy out of, of France, French Kiwi, just random. But I like that. <laughs> but I think one, what people might might be might not expect is that sometimes I'm listening to thunderstorms. Really? <laughs> like <laughs> wow. Like like sounds of nature and uh, like I'm just like I feel like um, like 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 those kind of like nature tracks I'm really a big fan of like you know sound of water and very meditative type stuff so people might not expect that I'm listening to a freaking thunderstorm (laughs) we just talked about the weather your your weather being cloudy but like I, I, I might sometimes I just I don't want to focus on the lyrics or words or any particular kind of music or sometimes just like 
focusing on nature and thinking, think of and just kind of like something to zone out with. Mm-hmm. When I'm doing like a lot of like uh, busy work, I might just be sitting there really zoning out to like sounds of rain or nature. So <laughs> I don't think many people really, really know that. So, so maybe you're the first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I, I, yeah, that's a very unique, uh, I think, playlist. Uh, I'm actually going to start listening to Rain now too because it's, it's sometimes I listen to Rain as well, but it's more of trying to get into meditative states. So I, I, I get where you're coming from. Um, so last question is: yeah, okay. What are what are some really interesting, exciting things that we can expect not only from Form One but also from Corey's Barbecue? Oh man! Uh, well, I, I think. In terms of the barbecue, um, you know, with, with COVID and a lot of these other things, it's been a little yeah. bit slow. But uh, you know, it's one of those things. Like if I if I put more into it, we'll we'll get more out of it. And me and my brother, we had been talking about you know maybe kind of introducing a new flavor and okay. thinking thinking through that. Um, so I think what they what they can expect is a lot more recipes on the website. Okay. We're going to start launching because a lot of people are cooking right now, so yes. more recipes. And um, you know they can stay tuned for maybe some new flavors. We're okay. we're gonna reevaluate within this year on more of like production and like how we can actually get the sauce to, to a broader network. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been a it's been a challenge. So I think that you know maybe they can look for that. Um, but if anything, some really great recipe ideas is is a definite. Um, in terms of forum one. Um, I think that uh, we're doing some really, really cool work right now, and mm-hmm. we're evolving. We're, and you're going to see a lot more work in higher visibility than you ever have. Yeah. Um, we're really, on the design team and, and being a design leader, I'm really looking at the team as a whole, and I, and I want my designers to feel like they're creating their absolute best work. And mm-hmm. I think that um, having, you know, very, very solid creative direction throughout all of our projects will help do that. But I think you can expect us to win a lot more awards. You can nice. expect us to be on a, you can expect us to be on a higher visibility playing field. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it should, you shouldn't go to these inspiration sites and see just all these commercial firms doing work for Mountain Dew and Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. But you should see museums and cultural institutions at the highest um, level as well and Definitely. I'm hoping that we as a team can bring that to, to the world and um, me personally to, to kind of lead that charge and and to continue doing these kinds of things to be a bigger influence in the design community um, you know so that way I may be noted, known for, for something or be a more a bigger voice within the design community for, for younger individuals to be inspired by and influenced by definitely um, yeah so Corey thank you so much for your time really appreciate it um, it was a wonderful talk and uh, yeah we just really appreciate your time Oh, no, no problem. I, I, it was my pleasure to kind of speak with you, and I, I hope that you were able to take something from it, and um, and, I, and I hope that we may keep in touch. I'd love to hear what you all do, and, okay. and, uh, and I'll start start listening to the podcast. I've already started <laughs> listening, but I'm going to listen more, and, I, Appreciate and I'm, happy, I'm happy to support your growth as well. Um, and yeah, so take care. I really appreciate this. Yeah, not a problem. We'll be in touch. All 
we would like to send a special, special thank you to Corey Jones. As you heard, he's a fantastic individual. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Corey Creative, C O R E Y Creative, and also on the web at http colon forward slash forward slash CoreyCreative.com. All of that information is in our show notes. Uh, so if you would, please follow him. And in addition, just you know, reach out to us and let us know the other types of creatives that you would like us to speak to. We're definitely more than happy to reach out to them. Um, in addition to that, please leave your comments as well as rating on iTunes. Uh, that would definitely help us out. Remember, these are our stories. Until next time.